This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Back of the chest. (laughs) Coronavirus self-isolation podcast. Hello and welcome to Back of the Chest, the lockdown sessions. I'm your host, Chris Hambling, and I'm here to guide you through the latest in our attempts to stay connected to the real world. We'll meet the panel after this short message. No paywall, no subscription. Back of the Nest. Fan-created podcasts, videos and articles. Free forever. Right, meet the panel time. First up, Mr. Mike Scott. <laughs> love it that's all that's needed um we'll find out what quality beverage that was later on uh we've got patrick o'connor hello how are you yeah i mean it will become apparent when people uh hear the quiz later on <laughs> to why we're feeling quite like we are i mean my voice sounds tired i'm giddy <laughs> but um but it was uh it was emotional um as a result of of some quiz based work. We've also got uh, producer Sam lurking. Hello, Sam. Hello. All right. You're right yeah, yeah, I'm fine. Yourself? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how's, it, how's things been going? <laughs> yeah. It's what, all right. What have you been up to in the lockdown? Keeping busy? Yeah. Yeah. Watch, yeah. Watching some films, you know. Some films. Um, enjoying any refreshments of any kind? I mean, we may have had a delivery of Harvey's that has been opened. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. the thing is, they go bad, don't they, really quickly? Do you? Yeah, you got you got to drink the beer quickly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, plus you can't just have one, can you? Because I think it's dangerous. No, and it, you know, not driving anywhere. So no, because you're responsible, and that's exactly. and that's the reasons why. Um, Patrick, how have things been going with you in lockdown over there in the United States of America, uh, led by a complete psychopath? Yeah, um, <laughs> it's been interesting uh i'm a bit of a hoarder so um i've decided to clean up what i've been hoarding for the last uh let me see i've been in this house now for 19 years so i'm doing a little bit of that my wife wants me to paint the entire house so we're gonna order paint i've got plenty of time i've got nothing else to do besides teach from monday to friday and do nothing on the weekend so 
That's about it, really. It inside of the house or outside or both? Oh no, we uh we got new siding and new roof last year, so that the outside looks great. The inside just has to be, you know, touched up a little bit. So just you know, a few rooms, kitchen, living room, bedroom, possibly. I mean, it sounds like she's absolutely right if you've done the outside up and you haven't bothered to do the inside. <laughs> Cheers. What's the matter with you? Uh, Mike, you've um you know, you've not said anything specifically yet other than the noise of a can. Uh, how's your lockdown been going? Well, having just found out that I'm allowed to uh, to, allowed to sunbathe um, as an absolute sun worshipper, um, once I, my kids have gone back to their mother, that is what I shall be doing. Um, and the, the possible news, the possible carrot in front of my nose that kids might be back at school on June the 1st if they're in reception. Oh, God, when I heard that, uh, I, I, I pointed out earlier, I was down on the floor like platoon style with my hands in the air just... <laughs> praising the Lord, um, yeah. This I'm I'm having this drink to Boris because I hate him, but uh, at least he said a couple of things that are making me happy. Listen, as a teacher, I am in America, but still a teacher. There is no chance schools open anytime soon. There's no chance unless you want to have a a, a total apocalypse of a of a pandemic to have. Give a me my moment, Patrick. Give me my moment. <laughs> you gotta remember patrick and i suppose you know um trump's very similar in the sense that all he thinks about is the economy above everything else um you know and in this current environment that's the driver to get people back to work they've got to get the kids back to school so you can see why that's being said there that's the motivation yeah i get that but um like i mentioned when i was on last time we're lucky we have a a awful president we have actually very good governors and our governor cuomo um, thinks first of people's health. So a bunch of the economy is, is absolutely getting destroyed in New York State. He has a very good plan to open up and schools that are lasting on this plan to open up because he understands that if you open up schools again, you're in for a, a huge... I understand that you have to have kids be in school for people to go to work, but um, it doesn't work because, like I said, there's no way for kids to social distance and the way that schools teach now, you've got 30 kids in a room and it's just there's just no way you can do it without causing a, a major health problem. But I understand what you're saying but it just doesn't make any feasible mental or health sense to open schools when they can't social distance. But anyway. No, fair point. And look, to give it context, we're recording this just, I say just after the the announcement from Boris Johnson. Uh, It's actually an hour and 40 minutes after the announcement of Boris Johnson because (laughs) of factors. Um, (laughs) So for for my part, um, I really, other than watching the, 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 the PM's announcement today, I've been doing my level best to avoid any mention of what's going on in terms of people adhering to lockdown rules and things like that because I was getting way too angry about it and you just can't control what other people do and seeing social media pop up with parks full of people and all that kind of stuff. You know, as much as I'm a little frustrated that the announcement gives people, should we say, scope to interpret rules the way they want to, um, part of me is kind of slightly relieved that um, maybe a little bit of the attention will come off that. But obviously the fear is that all of that will uh, end up with us in a you know periods of on and off lockdown for the foreseeable future. But that's a danger anyway, I guess, until a vaccine's found. Anyway, it's quite enough serious stuff with that. I am eyeing up a beer subscription. Um, I've already forgotten the name of it. Uh, but I used to be a member of a wine club, Lathwaite's. But uh, ever since I was diagnosed with diabetes um, and also ever since I developed the problem that I can't stop drinking wine when I start, 
um, I I had to cancel that subscription because you know a crate of wine every month is is possibly too much, but a crate of beer every month I've reasoned is perfectly reasonable in the current scenario. So I'm looking forward to trying all the stupidly named weird beers uh, like they do on the on the preview pod. So we'll see how that goes. Anyway. Go, uh, do download the Pitch Sport Football app, uh, Google Pitch Sport Football, to find it. They are still supporting us throughout all of this, so please support them. Um, and we'll get, obviously, more content, hopefully, as the football comes back, which I guess we'll talk about a little bit later on. Um, you can also get hold of us uh, by leaving us a WhatsApp voice message, 0203575-1266, and on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, you and YouTube. Just search Back of the Nest to find us on there. Email is hi at backofthenest.com. We've signed up for a TikTok account, but are too old to currently work out how to use it. But we might be doing some content on that, especially if we can make the young person, DR, deal with that. And um, yeah, get your reviews in iTunes or your chosen podcast app. Five stars, please. Other than that, we don't mind what on earth you write. So that's all that out of the way. Let's get into some football chat. So as you know, We've been working on the team of the decade with your voting over the last few weeks. It is now complete. The final place was taken in midfield by Mile Jedinak, uh, winning that place over James MacArthur. I can run you down the full team now. So in goal, we have Julian Speroni. Right back is Joel Ward. Left back is Patrick Van Arnholt. Centre-back pairing of Delaney and Dan. Mila Jednak and Johan Kabay in central midfield. Zaha Balassi on the wings. In behind the striker, Darren Ambrose. And that striker is Glenn Murray. The players that missed out are quite impressive. If you just check out our social feeds to see the details of that as well. But some interesting reactions, which I'll let Mike uh, run through in just a second. But let's get the panel's reaction first. And I'm going to start with you, Patrick, I think. What did you think of that team overall, considering how it was voted for and, and the discussions we've had? I think based on uh, the discussions and what end up, I think it ended up being a quite good team. Um, Jules and Goa love the back four. I'm, I mentioned before, I'm not a huge PVA fan, but when you think of the last 10 years, we haven't had anybody that could really challenge him. So no problem with the back four. Delaney, Dan, no issues there really. Kabai, Jednak, nice balance there. Yannick and Wolf, I mean, come on. Can't go any... Ambrose, Murray. As, as Dan Neville said, having him, imagine him playing in a side with Wilf and Yannick next to him and Murray up front. Oh, that would have scored a lot of goals. So overall, I think in the last 10 years, it, it's quite a balanced and a decent side. I like it. I like it a lot. Um, Drunk Sam, have you got any opinions on that team? <laughs> it's... <laughs> <laughs> it's... It's... It's pretty decent. It is pretty decent, it isn't it? Yeah. It's a, think, it's a little, little bit of a championship flavour, isn't there, um, based on, on the last 10 years. But how do you think it would do in the Premier League? Um... <laughs> I should never have interrupted your train of thought, should I? I apologise for that. Uh, I don't have a lot of thoughts. Um, I still feel like Murray is not Premier League calibre, to be fair. I know wow. I've been proven wrong, but, you know. Or, or maybe Jedi. But it's a it's a team that speaks to the heart, really, isn't it? It is. What a lovely way to put it. And I sort of agree with your uh, your comments on Murray and Yednak. But um, that will almost certainly alienate me as well as you from most of the listeners. Mike, your thoughts? I think the front six is is great. Um, I would say that 
our current um, our current defenses defenders um, that are on the books are probably better than the back four there. But um, you know, we're talking about um, team of the decades, services to the club, that kind of stuff. Um, and yeah, can't argue with any of that. Uh, do you want me to give you some thoughts from the listeners? Oh, I really do. I'm going to check out Facebook while you're looking at the Twitter ones. Okay. Uh, well, Luke Herbert said, hard hard to argue in terms of impact. I think that's, that's pretty much what we've been saying. More talented players in certain spots, certainly. More impactful over the decade. That's the big question. So he's definitely put more succinctly the same thing that we've said. Uh, Kevin Moore, Luke Iverjedinak. Um, there's always going to be something that isn't happy, isn't there? Um, Adam, spot on. Ian, filth. Excellent. Um, it's good. It's good that that uh, that's still a comment that people use. I thought it was <laughs> stopped in about 2005. Um, good work, Ian. Uh, Paul Rahilly, um, nothing wrong with that team. Glad Darren Ambrose is in it. Yes, absolutely. Always one of my favourites. I think everyone's the same. He absolutely caned it in the polls. Uh, Alex Duncan, uh, a team full of heart will win when it matters. Um, that's what the best games Palace have been involved in prove. Yep, fair play. And Eggy the Eagle. See what you've done there. Uh, all great players for Palace in their different times, but together it looks a bit championship. Mm. Uh, I'm, I mean, I'll go to, so I was watching the um, 2013 playoff final today, and um, I was actually thinking that despite the fact that obviously that was a championship side, um, I don't think it's any weaker than, to say, Norwich or even the Sheffield United side that are flying pretty high in the Premier League this season, or where anyway. Um, I'm not sure we've made enormous strides even with money that have, has been spent um I, yeah it's, it's hard to, it, I think it's harder to sort of differentiate between championship and Premier League players than 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 it ever has been really it's definitely an argument to say that those players playing at their best in that team you know those that were predominantly championship and I suppose you know in terms of Murray's best days for us were were in the championship as were you know as, as was Darren Ambrose and I suppose you can you can look at the influence of Yednak and Delaney in the championship as well and, and point to that being the strongest perhaps back there, maybe. But um but yeah, at their peak in that team, I think you know, I think it would be a very competitive team at the top level. A few comment other comments in uh, Chewy um wrote a, a fairly long one in there, but the general consensus he's saying there was, you know, if you think about, you know, looking at ability, you would probably say Wan Pasaka is a better footballer than Joel Ward. You would say Sacco is a better centre back than probably either Delaney or Dan. Um and then you would you would just sort of when you start to think about the reasons why Delaney's so well thought of, you know, it does show that is it's probably, you know, impact over ability. But I think that's kind of the point. Uh Aaron Mitchell got in touch saying in their prime that's a top eight prem team. <laughs> There's a um I don't know about top eight, but I like the ambition from Aaron there. Uh, Graham O'Brien definitely heart ruling head Delaney was a cult hero but quality wise he said something unkind um, about uh, about um, Delaney that I won't repeat um, and uh, he was talking about how you know Klein and, and Aaron Wampazaka were better right backs than Ward as well uh, Steve Sheffield solid spine to the team with three quality flair play- players behind Muzza um, James Howard surprised that no Wampazaka so it does suggest it's a sentimental 11 um, Jamie Morton's gone with clone and Basaka. I think he meant Klein. I don't think we're, you know, at the stage where we're cloning players. 
Uh, and Adrian in Canada, and he's got in Canada as a surname, but I don't think that's a surname. Uh, he says, I wonder what this looks like if it was done on most minutes played in each position. That wouldn't be far off, I don't think, which is a good point, you know, in terms of, you know, minutes played for Palace over the course of 10 years, it would probably look very similar. Over to you, Patrick. Yeah, you know what? The more I look at it, it has a bit of a cult hero type of a lineup to it. Could you think about just, I mean, I, I'm sure you guys today or at some point must have watched the playoff final again. You think about Spironi, Delaney, Ward, Wilf, how they played in that final, how great that final was, and Jednak, obviously. I mean, it's got a little bit of that cult hero stuff. You know, we're not really talking about necessarily Premier League great players. We're talking about players that over those 10 years, you think back at a great memory saying, oh, I remember Glenn Murray scoring those goals against promoted and how great Yannick was in the summer final against Brighton and Kabai. How, you know, it's got a little bit of that whole, oh, these are cult hero type things, you know, PVA scoring goals to relegate teams and that kind of stuff. So I love the team, but again, I, I have to agree. It has a little bit of a little bit of a cult hero, recency type bias type thing to it. Absolutely right. Anyway, um, obviously that's now completed. Uh, really enjoyed doing that with the uh, with the listeners, and um, I hope you enjoyed it too. So next up, we're going to look at matches of the decade. So we're going to do a little bit of research on that and start putting some options up for people to look at. Obviously, quite a hard choice when you start looking at the different seasons and trying to pick the the key matches, the most either the most enjoyable or the most meaningful through each kind of season, if you like. But we'll be putting those up soon. So check out all of our socials and, and get involved in that as well. And I think that's going to be a really fascinating uh, turn of events by the end of it. So, um, yeah, more to come on that soon. So next up, I mean, we've been doing a lot of these uh, presenter all-time favourite 11s. And, um... and there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Well, another one for you right now. No paywall, no subscription. Back at the Nets. Fan-created podcasts, videos and articles. Free forever. Right, it is time for an all-time Palace 11. And we have a very special guest from the preview show. It's Sam Hesketh. You're you're right to cheer the preview show. Um, Yeah. yeah. Am I a special guest or am I a special and inverted commas guest? I mean, you can make your own decision on that if you like. Um, no inverted commas then. Good. Yeah. Yeah. And that is exactly how I meant it. And, um, you've been doing some, some fine work on the preview show during lockdown. What's, what's been your, your highlights so far? <laughs> well, I can tell you that my highlights were not, um, Albert and Terry talking about baby vomit or Terence asking about whether we have baby, uh, baby fluff, belly button yeah, fluff. Right. Um, 
those weren't the highlights. I think the highlight is probably us. I think it was just me and Albert talking about which Palace manager we'd want to self-isolate with. Yeah, I, I very much enjoyed that. And, you know, it's weird. I, I often enjoy the, the podcast where that I'm not on more <laughs> um, because sometimes losing the host uh, gives it a slightly more informal feel. So that's not a reflection on young Terence at all, but it was a it was a cracking episode. Can anyway, we've pulled you up on the on the the belly button, Fluff. Yeah. So, so I was always under the impression that if you're a hairy guy, then it happens more um, because um, the hair lets it travel down towards your belly button by catching your your jumper. So, as a man that's freakishly unhairy, I've never had any belly button fluff. Um, but then, very hairy mates of mine tend to have loads. So, is there is there truth in that? Um, I'm glad we're back on this topic. Uh, I am not a particularly hairy bloke, and I have some, so I reckon you're probably right. I'm a very hairy bloke, um, and I would say moderate. Um, but I mean, if I go into too much detail, it's going to get unpleasant, I think, probably. Well, I mean, you know, we've already talked before we started recording about what's not in your all-time Palace Eleven, so I am already slightly disappointed, but that's a good place to start, isn't it? It is. So, <clears throat> unfortunately, I'll preface this to follow on to Hambo's point there. No Kalinko, no Hennessy and goal. Boo! Boo! So, sorry about that. Um, my favourite goalkeeper is one that's actually talented, so neither of those got in there, sorry. Um, yeah, I mean, I've been going since 1990, so really since then, the only two goalies I can consider are Nigel Martin and, and Jules. Um, pretty tough one, to be honest, because they're both great. Uh, I edged towards Jules. Um, obviously, he was there a bit longer. Um, probably wasn't as good a goalkeeper as Martin, but I can't believe anyone who supports Palace feels anything other than unconditional love for Jules. Um, so he is certainly the goalkeeper that makes my all-time favourite eleven. I have to say, when you said edge towards Jules, I started laughing back to a, one of our WhatsApp conversations. But let's not dwell on that. I, I did, and um, we'll talk later in um, the show about our um, watching of the playoff semi-final second leg. But I, I fell in love with Jules all over again after rewatching that. Uh, sensational oh. the performance in that game absolutely and, and not only that save which was unbelievable um but the interview with him after the game where he's sort of choking up a little bit but still finds the time to talk about how great Wilf is you know it, it sort of says everything about him he's a great goalie and an even greater bloke okay so what's next right so i'm just going to do a 442 because i can't be done with all this fancy dan 2020 nonsense. Uh, so my right back is Mark Edworthy. What the hell? He. So I think that Mark Edworthy is a very good player. Um, he never really gets talked about, but I think when you mention him, people who remember him sort of go, oh, yeah, he was pretty good, actually. It's sort of in the same way as Emerson Boyce. You sort of forget Emerson Boyce a bit, um, but he was good. Uh, and I just, I just really remember, really, really liking Edworthy at the time. Uh, he was pretty good going forward. He was a very good defender. Um, randomly played at sweeper at some point, um, but yeah, he was, he was a big favourite of mine at the time. 
So as this is a favourite eleven, I believe, rather than a sort of best mm-hmm. best performing eleven, um, he definitely goes in there because I was a massive fan of his. When I had hair, I had the same hair as Mark Edworthy. You know the the curtains that were a bit too thick. A ve- just a very of its time haircut. Indeed, indeed. All right, okay, on we go. So uh, on the other side, um, my left back is going to be Dean Gordon. Um, he was such a good player going forward. All the cliches about his sort of rocket left foot and all that is quite an obvious one. Um, I just yeah, remember really liking him bombing bombing down the down the wing and punting the ball really hard. Um, again, when I was younger, he he was a big favourite of mine. So maybe sort of nostalgia takes over. Um, but I remember him scoring a couple of really good goals and they stick in my mind. So he is going to give us some pace down the wing. I mean, he, he it was in mine as well, I'm pretty sure. And he was quality. Um, I was always surprised he didn't really get any international recognition. I think he might have got an under-21 appearance or maybe a B call-up at one stage. Um, the elusive was, England B cap. Exactly. And um, yeah, went on to, was brilliant for Middlesbrough as well. So um, yeah, great choice. Uh, so moving on to the middle, my two centre-halves. Um, the first is Tony Popovich, um, who I believe Mike had in his as well. Um, just a really good defender. You know, he could he could play a bit as well. Um, I remember when we signed him from San Fries, I think it was, in Japan. Obviously, no one knew anything about him. Um, and he settled in pretty well to start with, I think, and then just got better and better. Uh, scored one of the best own goals I've ever seen away at Portsmouth, which is always worth mentioning, uh, and could take a hell of a penalty. Um, so he's one half of my centre-backs, and the other is Mamadou Sakho. Um, first of all, brilliant defender. I think a lot of people sort of forget just how good a player he is when he's doing his Cruyff turns in the six-yard box. Um, and while he does have sort of a moment of madness every now and again, I can't remember us having a defender who was so comfortable passing the ball, getting the play moving, whilst also being a very, very good defender. Um, and I think for for all the times you say that, you know, talking about forward players, you want to be excited. You want to see players have skill. Maybe not the first thing you want for a centre-half, but when he does his skills and they do come off, <laughs> it's just brilliant. I just really enjoy watching him play. So for the for the odd heart-in-mouth moment, compared to his actual ability, I think he's uh, really enjoyable to watch and uh, I love him. All right, good choice. Certainly agree with Sacco and obviously Mike will undoubtedly agree with the, the choice of Popovich. Uh, right, moving into midfield, the centre. Um, the first is a, a current squad member. It's James MacArthur. Um He's been with us a while now, hasn't he? So obviously we've had time to get to get to know what kind of a player he is. And as much as everyone likes skillful players, which I certainly do, and you'll see further on in the team, um, I think all fans, certainly myself included, love players who give everything. And we've had quite a few of those players over the years, um, some with more limited ability than others. But I think James McCarthy is legitimately a really, really good player. You know, he he his energy is boundless. He can pass. He's got good skill. Um, just an all-round very good player. And I think when we look back on him after he leaves, whenever that is, everyone will have fond memories of him. 
I think we'll miss him when he's not there. Uh, and that leads me nicely onto my central midfielder partner, who's Johan Kabai. Um, definitely a player who was taken for granted by a lot of people when he was in the team. He is someone that we really, I mean, I, I think we'd, we really miss. I think we'd be a better team with him in the in in the team now. He's just got everything, you know. He he can. His vision is brilliant. His passing is brilliant. He could tackle. He could score. Uh, and he was a bit of a shit, you know. He liked <laughs> he liked nipping at players um, after the ball. He was mouthy. He rolled around a bit, which I hate when it when it's against us. But when it's Johan, I'm like, yeah. Well, someone obviously must have breathed on him, and that's unacceptable. Um, so I think you know we've had some brilliant central midfielders since I've been going. Um, Jeff Thomas, for example, a uh, little honourable mention to Andy Roberts, who I was really, really into when we when we bought really? him. Okay. Um, so we got some, we had some good central midfielders, but I think Jimmy and Yo uh, are my two favourites. I think interesting to hear you mention about the, the sort of dark side of Kabaya's game because we've talked about him a bit. Um, and about him being underappreciated, but you're absolutely right. And I, I think was it Deli Alley that he had a couple of real, yeah, you know, sort of nasty little moments with because he obviously wound him up to a point where, you know, Ali's always been a, a petulant sort of little child of a player anyway, but he really, he really got to him. And, um, yeah, a couple of niggly little moments there, so I like that. And, and as for Maka, not one that I would have picked, but I think you're absolutely right in that you people will look back and think about how great a player he was for us. And, you know, he comes under that category of underrated players. And I know I underrate him. You know, whenever I start thinking about who I would replace in the team, for some reason, it's always pick him. Um, and, I, and I know I underrate James MacArthur. So, um, yeah, good choices. So, mo- moving out to the to the wings, these are a bit more obvious and sort of give give us that flair as opposed to the, the sort of central industry. Um they can go on either side. They're both good enough. The first is Victor Moses. Um, as I say, an obvious choice. When he was in the team, he was just clearly a cut above. You know, our team was average when he was there. We had some times where we were all right. Um, but there were just some games when you watched Vic in the in the championship against, like, you know, teams near the bottom. And he would just embarrass them. He was such a fluid player when he had the ball. You know, he was either getting past you or you're going to kick him, which is, you know, what you want from from your wingers, really. Um, and he was absolute joy to watch. I was I was devastated when he left. I really, really didn't want him to go. But obviously the situation as it was meant that he had to. And seeing how well he's done in his career is great. I can't begrudge him it. I love him. Um, and, uh, you know... I think having him in the team would be great. And on the other side, even less of a surprise, is my favourite player of all time, Wilfred Zaha. Um, don't really need to talk to him, to talk about him much. We all know how good he is. Even this year when he's arguably not having his best season, he still does things that make, you know, the, the hairs on your arms stand up, makes you stand up, makes opposition fans hate him. Um, makes Brighton substitutes look very silly when they try and rile him up. He's he's just my favourite player ever. He's the best. I love him. And I've said this a million times on the preview show. I don't want £100 million. I want Wilf. 
So he was first name on the team sheet as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, um, actually, I was going to go back to the, the back four. That back four is very underrated. I mean, it takes Edward there, I remember, primarily from, primarily from this 97 team that got promoted. Uh, Dean Gordon, again, you talk about, which we've complained about not having pure left-footed left backs. And, you know, I, I put Santa in my team. But Dean Gordon was brilliant. I totally loved that Sam picked him because I, I totally had forgotten how good Dean Gordon was. It wasn't a long, long time, but he was he was a good, good player. And I and I again he picked Sacco, which again I people underrate Sacco as a defender. I absolutely love Mama Sacco, and I'm really glad Stan picked him. So I'm loving the side so far. All right, well I'll jump in on Victor Moses then because it didn't even enter my brain. And I think you kind of touched on the reason why, Sam, and it's the fact that he left and had to leave when he did. But I am I remember thinking when he sort of broke through. You know, it took him a little while to. You could always, you could see straight away that he was, you know, going to be, you know, an international class player, and he'd been talked about since he was a, you know, fifteen-year-old, uh, possibly even younger when he was some. Some, I remember reading an article about him scoring five in a cup final, um, and sort of barely breaking a sweat and things like that. But when he really started to shine, I remember feeling so sorry for him that there wasn't enough quality around him, because you know, he just. He had to make, you know, all the chances himself. It's a little bit like when Wilf broke through, to be honest. But, you know, there wasn't really enough around him uh, until that that little purple patch, wasn't it, when we had Sinclair, Moses and Morrison, I think it was, under Warnock. Mm-hmm. And as a three, they just clicked. And, and, you know, as much as Warnock didn't want to play Clinton, it he had to because of just how well that, that three worked. And I think that was a time where you saw what Moses could have offered um, with, with enough quality around him. And it's definitely a, a one that got away, but, you know, what a career he's had. Yeah, absolutely. He, he like we say, he, he was one that had to leave for the good of the club, but you wouldn't begrudge him. I don't want to say well done to a Chelsea player. I hate Chelsea. But when he was playing under Conte, he looked absolutely brilliant, you know, and it didn't surprise any any Palace fans as just to how good a player he was in whatever position he was in. Plus, at Cristian Ball, he could have scored and he sort of air-kicked a little bit. And that's because he loves Palace, I reckon. <laughs> yeah, yep. Um, so, moving on to the final two. Um, that was tough. We, we've had loads of good strikers over the past 30-odd years that I've been going. And, and you know, there are honourable mentions that was really tough to leave out that I loved. Um, Matt Janssen, for example... Andy Johnson, it's hard not to love AJ. Um, but the two... I specifically said no honourable mentions so that you could somehow get two teams <laughs> out. I wasn't allowed a sub bench, so I've semantics. Um, but my, my front two, the first one is Glenn Murray. Um, it's hard to explain. Oh, it's not hard to explain because he scored loads of goals, but compared to some of the players you've had, like AJ and Wright and Bright and Chris Armstrong. I just loved Glen Murray that year. The year before he was brilliant for us, when when Jermaine Easter was getting in the team over him, I was like livid every week when I saw the team sheet because I didn't like Jermaine Easter. I thought he was crap, and there was just something about Murray. Even though I think he only scored seven goals, I was like, he just there's something about him. I think he's going to be really good. Um, obviously, we we got him on a free from Brighton, and then he scored against them. That's fun, um, but the year that that we went up and he'd scored 20-odd goals by Christmas. He was just absolutely unplayable. And it he doesn't 
there's nothing about him that you would say this is why he's a brilliant. You know, he's not the fastest striker. He doesn't score all of his goals with his head, but he just did everything really, really well. He's a pain in the ass. He could score from range. He could score from the six yard box. He could score headers. Um, he, he's quite an unassuming bloke, but he was such a good striker, and I just, you know, loved watching him play. I was again the way that he was treated when he left was really bad, and I felt pissed off that we'd done that to him. Um, and he's a bit alright. I don't think anyone was good for Brighton really this year because they're awful. But he, I think he's been alright for them the year before. Um, so he's still got it in his locker, even though he's he's getting on. Um, and then his, his partner, who were it not for Wilf, would be my favourite player of all time, uh, is Clinton Morrison. Um, you know, he's he's a rude boy from South London, come through the Youth Academy, scored goals, scored on his debut. I remember that well. And he's played in some teams that were crap as well. And he just looked good. He's full of confidence. He backs it up. You know, we all know how many times he got caught offside and did the sort of like slouch and sort of kissing his teeth and all that. And that's part of what I love about him because he he's got he had a bit of an attitude even at that young age, but he could score goals. And I think when when you watch the games that Palace have been putting on their YouTube this week um, against Stockport uh, on the Twitter when the Portsmouth game, the, the game before, you see just how good a player and just how good his all round game was. You know, he yes, he was a striker that came alive in the box, like the cliche says, but he did a lot for the team and you know when he came back the second time even though the team under Dowie the the year we were trying to get back up wasn't great seeing him and AJ together was a lot of fun and yeah like like Hambo said Warnock didn't want to play him but he couldn't he couldn't not in the end because he he epitomizes for me everything that I love about Palace He's local. He come through the youth team. He went away and came back, much like Wilf. Um, I couldn't not have him in the team. He's the best. I love those selections. I didn't pick either, but I'm right with you on your reasoning. Um, I'm trying desperately to remember what Dougie said when we interviewed him a few years back about why in that season he was picking Easter over Murray. Um, just trying to think. The only person I think might remember might be Patrick, but... Possibly not, um, but I think it was some. There was some kind of off-field reason why, you know, he was he was trying to motivate Murray and basically explain to him that, you know, you're going to have to work to get in this team. You're not doing what I'm asking you to do, and he wasn't getting it. And there was some, there was some process that Dougie was going through just to try and try and reach him, try and get him. I think it was getting him to train harder, maybe, because um, he wasn't a, a willing trainer at the time. Something along those lines, but. Totally get what you mean. It was a bizarre time when when Easter was getting in over, ahead of Murray, but the the everything you say about Clinton and I think in particular the bit about you know not really understanding how good a player he was because when you actually stop and look at the the logic of it, I mean he's he scored more goals than Mark Bright, and he doesn't get talked about it the same way that Mark Bright does and should. Um, and I, I don't think it was his hundredth goal, but. It was around that time when he he scored probably the favourite goal I've ever seen him score, which was against QPR, where the ball was played up to him with his back to goal. He sort of did this weird sort of pirouette and then just backheeled the ball, backheel volley over the keeper. And it was just, I sort of remember seeing him do it. And I thought, did did he just, 
was that a mistake? Did he accidentally score? And it was just, but it was it was deliberate, but it was just so brilliant, and it didn't really get any attention. Um, anyway, over to you, Patrick. Yeah, I think the problem with Clinton is if you think about his career at Palace, he never did anything when he was on the team. You think about, you remember Clinton for him. I remember him very much for Stockport. He was part of that team that just avoided relegation. I remember that team that got to the League Cup semi-final got clattered by Liverpool in the second leg. When you think about Clinton's team, unfortunately, they didn't really do great things. And if you guys can you know, remind me, is there, is there promotion in, in Clinton's uh, for Palace? Was there one that I can remember? I can't remember it. So that's unfortunate. But you're right. The goals that he scored uh, were tremendous as far as the the amount. of. But again, Bright, he's got the ZDS Cup. He's got the FA Cup final. He's got third place, you know, in 1991. So that's why I think why you remember Brighty more than Clinton. But as far as production, Clinton was, I, I loved him too. Like, I'm, I'm with Sam on that local kid, that rude boy thing I love, love about that South London attitude that he had and him being called the pest by Jordan. I love that about him. He was a pest and irritating. But yeah, I mean, but again, I think the only thing with Clinton, like I said, just didn't have that, that, that really great moment you could think about as far as being successful with Palace. Essentially, you know, I've just explained a lot better. The same reason I put Clinton in the team, um, but it, even now, you know, he's he's pure Palace. Like his tweets, you know, he, they're they're always Palace related. Um, if they want a pundit on the radio to talk Palace, he's the man, and and he he says it with conviction, and you believe him. And he really was just when I was a kid the the player that I was um, most up for watching, he just got me most excited about football at Palace. So, yeah, excellent. Um, I, I, as for the back four, um, Edworthy and Gordon, I don't remember. It's my, pre-my Palace days. Um, but um, looking at their stats, I'm sure they were, particularly Dean Gordon, pretty pretty great to watch. Um, I think we got four of the same players in our favourite eleven there. So I had Popovich, Sacco, Wilf and Morrison. Um, probably yours is a little bit more of a balanced side than mine. Now we'll say that. The the one thing I will say just to finish up for Clinton, because um, Mike was saying about he he's on in the media and uh, used as a pundit a lot. He's legitimately a really really good pundit. He knows his stuff. I used to you know you see him on the sort of football league highlights. I guess when he was maybe still with Exeter, he knows his stuff top to bottom and seeing someone with the charisma and sort of character and personality of him on telly a lot is brilliant, you know, and, and it also helps when they, they sort of bring him in during Palace stuff. He he genuinely still loves the club. I don't think there's any sort of any doubt about that. And um, long may it continue, really, because the more Clinton Morris and I have on my telly, the better. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I do think there was, he obviously left and I don't think, the way he came across, you know, was oh, I'm going on to, to bigger and better things to a point in some of the things that he said. And I think there was a period of time where he perhaps didn't really refer to Palace. But when he came back, I think it was probably about halfway through that season where he started talking, you know, look, uh, you know, this is my club. It doesn't matter who I, you know, I think he was a Spurs fan as a kid. It's like, it doesn't really matter that, you know, this is where I came through. This is where I'm happy. Or, you know, this is the club that I love. And it really sort of grew from there for me. But um no, great choices. Fantastic um, favourite 11. Thank you very much, Eskif. You've got to go and get your dinner now. So we'll uh, we'll let you run. Thanks. I have. All right. Cheers, guys. Fintons. Mmm. 
Right, interesting stuff. Um, some news, of course, in uh, that's come out of the club, which was it's always nice to get actual news to talk about. And that's that Scott Dan has signed an extension to his contract until the summer of 2021. Um, a player who, by all accounts, um, very nearly left in the uh, the last transfer window, um, and was obviously contract coming to an end. The um, at the end of the season, obviously, um, but you know, featured in the team more, you know, on a slightly more regular basis. Now, fully back from injury, obviously advancing in years. But uh, what what do you make of that? I'll start with you, actually, Mike. What were your thoughts when you heard that? Did it sort of come out of the blue a little bit. No, I don't think it did. Um, and um, Don Firefield pointed out it's it's probably not something nervous, but it's probably just something that's been leaked to to give a bit of news. Um, he was. I, I thought he was pretty much done for and I wasn't too worried about him, him going. I thought he probably deserved it in that um, he looks as though he wants a couple more seasons um, and I thought if he dropped down a league or two, he, he'd probably make sure he was an absolutely integral part of a, a championship or a league one side, you know, maybe um, becoming a bit of a cult hero. But he stuck his ground, um, and because of injuries, he ended up back in the back in the side and doing well, and and showing that we can be a little bit quick to um, dismiss people sometimes. So, right now, I'd say he's a, a fairly integral part of a very injury-prone central defence. Definitely, and I suppose you've got the argument for for cover and the argument as a reward for not only sort of the part he's played in the in the season currently on hold but you know obviously the the years he's given us as a, as a quality player you know as reflected in the fact he was voted in the in the team of the decade by the by the listeners but i suppose patrick there's another argument in that he if he held a value in that that january tra- transfer window where someone was willing to to take him on and possibly give us money for him that by getting him back under contract that puts us in a similar position in the next window or two as well whenever that might be yeah um i find it hard to wrap my head around any kind of football news with what's going on in the world and no football. But again, as Mike said, it probably was done before and it's, it's kind of put out there now to give us some news. But I've got no issue with it. Um, my only thought that I, when I thought about it was, well, what does that mean for Mama Sacco? Because if we're going to keep Dan, at some point, some centre-half is going to have to leave because we're not going to keep as many as we have. So that's my only thought was that Sacco's definitely off now. But again, off when? Because the season, who knows when it's going to start up again. So who knows? Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm not going to make Sam think again by asking her opinion. I think we've probably just covered that. But we are going to talk now. We mentioned it earlier about rewatching. So the the playoff final was actually played on the on the day of recording, uh, but I didn't I didn't watch that back. There's a couple of reasons for that, and and the main one is it's a lot of football to be played to watch one penalty. Um, whilst I I remember it vividly, it's one of my favourite days being a Palace fan. The idea of sitting there watching 120 minutes um, after after sitting there watching the full playoff final yesterday, I just I just didn't have it in me today because I miss football a lot and it just would have I don't know I'd have had a mixed feelings, but it was a glorious moment and I've absolutely watched the uh, the penalty that um, that Wilf got and, and Phillips smashing it in and that's that's my joy from that. But the um, the playoff semi final second leg I watched in full. Um, on my TV, which is so pleasing that they managed to get the the Sky um, sort of uh, content in full HD and all that kind of stuff because it was like being back there for a moment. I just took my mind back to watching it and, and just thoroughly enjoyed it. And there's just so many funny moments, you know, the 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 stuff beforehand where they're talking up Will Buckley, who, having watched it back, he was just a kick and run merchant. He had nothing about him. 
And it's no wonder he hasn't he didn't kick on as Poyet predicted that he would be better than Zaha. He, you know, he he had, he was a player playing at his absolute peak because he had massive confidence. But all he he had one move it was just knock the ball ahead of him and sprint. Um, so that I mean, it made that made me laugh. And then there was. I could. I'll let you guys name some. Otherwise, I'll steal them all of your of your favourite moments of that. But I'll pick the one I chucked off on, uh, on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, which was a bit of commentary that I think Alan Smith was a co-commentator. If I'm right in saying, and it's my one of my favourite bits of commentary. And it's when the guy basically cries into his clapper, and there's this this pause as the camera's watching him, and just as it cuts away to the um to to the match action again, Alan Smith goes, "Well." They're not used for that. Supposed to be used for that, are they? And I just thought that. I mean, that that's got to hurt. Like especially that guy. I don't think he'll ever, ever live that down. So I thought that was a beautiful moment. That's enough from me. Who wants to chip in with their memories? Yeah. Well, my favorite part is the Yannick Balassi move on the left for the cross for Wilf's header. The the. The double move that he makes to create the space. I mean, you guys know I'm a huge Yannick fan, but the double move that he makes in that cross. And I always remember that Wilf talked about Holloway saying in, in training bef- that week before that you have to get in at the back post as much as you can. And what happens is he does it and scores his first ever header. It's a brilliant. And the celebration is that the running into the stands, the slide. Oh, it's just brilliant. I just love the cross by you. Again, the, I just, I'm a Yannick fan. That right footed cross. And Wolf is just cuts in inside a bridge. I mean, I just that I could watch that over and over again. It's absolutely my favorite moment of that game. I mean, there's so many things, but that's my favorite moment of that match was that that, that play by Yannick and that header by Wolf. Definitely, and I, I loved Wayne Bridges' reaction when the ball went in the net because he just knew, and you know, you had this whole thing, and they were talking about talking it up in the commentary. Oh, how Brighton have moved on! They got this lovely new stadium, and they got the likes of Bridge and Upson, Upson playing for them. Yep. Just like, yeah, so what? <laughs> Um, but yeah, sorry, sorry to take us on that diversion back to the semi-final, but that's where my head was very much staying. So back over to you, Mike, to get into the details of the final itself. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, you're right in that you're discussing a much more interesting game. Um, and DR did retweet Jules's reaction from after the game, um, which is always worth seeing. Um, it's up on Twitter if you haven't. Nice, nice tear in his eye. Uh, but the final, um, so I knew that it would be a struggle. But on the other hand, um, I'd been uh, subjected to Paw Patrol um, for the vast majority of the day. <laughs> um, so any excuse to kick my youngest um, off the TV and tell her that, uh, in fact, I was watching some football, didn't explain to her that it wasn't live. Um, and I watched the entire thing through um, without without skipping anything. Um, some thoughts: uh, Jedi's uh, last last gas lunge tackle to uh, to stop a shot coming in the first half, um, which looked as though it was probably going to be the best chance of the half for Watford. Excellent. Um, Dean Moxie forgot that he was quite so wily as he was. Um, Ward and Zahar, and with more more build up play than than I remember, um, and Ward with some better crosses than I remember as well, because um, he, he obviously I don't know he must have he must have took a downturn in crossing skill for a few years after that. Um, yeah, I 
I remember it, it took me back to the day because I, I, I sent a message on WhatsApp asking everyone what happened to Yannick that day and, and Pat to remind me. I, was, I, was, I thought he was benched. Um, he, there was nothing wrong with him. Um, he just, he, uh, Holloway went with um, Johnny Esther and that, yeah, I remember being worried about that and I remember being worried about Wilbraham being um, our, only, our only outlet. Um, but I also was thinking about the 2004 player final um, and was like, this is going to be fine. We're going to be, this is going to be fine. We're going to win one nil. Um, so, but I was still nervous as hell watching the game. Um, yeah. But really nervous um, because, because it was a, such a what, typical stalemate, um, cancel each other out playoff final. Um, and just the, the, the relief, the relief with the goal. Um yeah, it's it's a strenuous 153-minute watch. But um, on the other hand, if it means you don't get to watch PJ Masks and more Paw Patrol, <laughs> then that is excellent. Absolutely right. Go on, Pat, yeah. Lee, jump in. Yeah, I want, I want to add. Well, first thing is um, I was there. So I hadn't been home in about five years. But I'd met someone on Twitter and becoming a good friend of World Blog. And he convinced me via Twitter, DMing me almost every day to buy tickets. So I, me and my son flew over for that match. So actually be there was phenomenal. It's one of the best moments I'll ever have with my son ever. He talks about it to this day. He's 20 odd years old and he loves it. But from the match, a couple of things that, I, that stand out to me. One is uh, KG getting hurt. Now KG to me had a brilliant match against Brighton in the second semi-final. And when he went off, I was really worried. But O'Keefe came on and was, <laughs> he was really, really good. He didn't do anything like spectacular, but the throwing the ball at that player, I can't remember he threw that in the in that second part of extra time was hilarious to me. His 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 work rate was brilliant. He was very steady. He picked up the ball, made you know good passes, drove the ball forward. I thought he did really well. Wilbraham misses. Mike mentioned before. Wilbraham had a lot of chances in that game. And as I was watching it back, I remember being in the stand and saying to myself, "Oh my God, I'm missing Glenn Murray." <laughs> Murray would have scored that. Oh, Murray would have scored that. Oh, Murray would have scored that. It was very frustrating. I mean, he worked hard, but his his chances that he had, he really should have scored one of those four or five chances. Spironi was brilliant in that game. It was absolutely fantastic. But I realized that for the first like 80 minutes, he had nothing to do. I believe the stat was he didn't have a save to make for the first 80 minutes. And that's how good our defense was. And let me give a shout out to players that we don't talk about a lot anymore. D Moxie had a great final, and so did Danny Gabadon. Gabadon, by the way, yeah, yeah, was yeah. a brilliant centre-half. You don't realise how good he was. Watch his last three matches. Watch the Brighton games again in the final. He was He's such a excellent football player and so smart. You know what I mean? He reads the game so well. You get to how he played at the highest level with West Ham, etc. Great player, Gabadon. I really love that. And am, again, I, am and, I remembering it wrong, or did, did we got him on a free at the start of that season? I think you're right, Mike. Yeah, well, it, was definitely... it was a. Yeah, go ahead. I say it was it was a free because he had so many injury problems as well. Right. Um, and I, I think when we when we took him on, I don't think we we made him train very much. We did that with a few players. I mean, Clint Hill, we nursed for a couple of years, not asking him to train more than you know once or twice a week unless he unless he could handle it. And we had a you know really good record of taking on players that that just needed that little bit of care and attention. And we did that with Gabadon. And you're so right. I mean, the semi-final against Brighton second leg, he was unbelievable in that game. So didn't didn't even seem to break sweat. He was just everywhere. Um, but yeah, and in the, in the final, I remember it vividly. He was he was top class. And, you know, let's not forget, he was keeping Ramage out of the team who had, who had forged a brilliant partnership with Delaney. Uh, but Gabadon had just, just managed to take that place and was just, yeah, magnificent. 
and so just to finish off, the, and then the, the other abiding memory is Wolf's, Wolf's game. In and out of the game, but he 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 really, whenever we needed someone to drive the ball forward, it was him. And then Cassetti, who made the foul, had actually, if you guys remember, he actually had the same foul or a similar foul uh, against Leicester in the semi-final. But um, of course, they missed the penalty, which went down and Dini scored the goal. So the penalty kick now, Kevin Phillips, I don't know how you guys felt, but in the beginning of when he, when it was happened, I turned my head. I said to myself, you can't. You can't miss this if it happens, you know, if we score. So quickly, I turn my head quickly and as he shoots the ball and scores, and I just, the place went crazy. I don't know if you know, the fans all match were absolutely, the sound was unbelievable. It was all Palace. And it was just a great, great, great time. And the whistle went, it was, I mean, it was just that, just that whole day was absolutely one of the best days of my entire life. To be a Palace fan that day was absolutely fantastic. I wouldn't have missed it for the entire world. I really wouldn't have. Yeah, I mean, you've, you've, covered loads of the points that have been springing up in my mind as we were talking about it and particularly the Wilbraham, Wilbraham misses um, and I have to say Almunia was excellent in that game as well to give he Wilbraham was. a little bit of a let off and you're right I've, I've you know thinking back I felt a little bit embarrassed how I was calling Stuart O'Keefe massively overrated last week and, <laughs> and yeah yeah he was he was great in this game but um you know the the Spironi save from Dini it was it was astonishing considering what he'd done in the semi final as well um, for that the best probably one of the best saves I've ever seen in fact he probably is the best save I've ever seen uh, against Ashley Barnes just it was so good you didn't see it at normal speed you know and then it was zero doubt it wasn't luck that it touched his hand you know the movement of his hand in is almost, I think it's almost physically impossible to move your hand that quickly but he did it. Um, so, and then for him to to make that save from Deeney because, you know, Deeney just thought he was going to walk the ball in, and yeah, Jules had, had other other thoughts, thankfully. But um, you know, I think for me, even though I haven't watched it back, it's so burnt into my mind from when I watched it in Wembley. Um, I can remember all of the emotions. I can remember laughing and saying, you know, trying to explain the tears in my eyes that I had a bad hay fever, but laughing about it. And um, just, yeah, just the sort of camaraderie, the noise. Like you say, Watford never came into it. They were so busy talking themselves up as a fan base, but they just, they shrunk. And, and the Palace fans were never let up at all. And it was a hard watch at times. It was, you know, I never felt that we were, we were going to lose as such. But, you know, I watched the penalty. I, I, I couldn't. You know, sometimes I do feel like turning away from moments like that, but it was just so important I couldn't. And I, I thought, you know, I almost had that thought, well, if he does miss it, I'm I'm going to be there with him to miss it. If like, I'll, I'll experience the same pain and anguish if he misses it that he'll experience. I just wasn't going to let a minute of it pass me by. And as you say, Patrick, it was an unbelievable day. So so I went with my old man um, and and his uh, like social club lot, uh, he's not a Palace fan, um, but he he does enjoy a drink. Um, so I only remember up to Vidra getting knocked out by Jedi, I think, um, and then and then the penalty. And I was so battered the rest of it that I don't remember until <laughs> I watched watched it back on TV sometime later. But I also remember um, Alders. I worked in Alders in Croydon, and it, it actually closed down. Just before that, that that final, um, it, I think it closed down December two thousand and twelve. So I was I just started a new job like as a temp, and I was absolutely penniless. And my horror, my debit card getting hammered that much when I saw the amount the next day, um, 
And I thought, if I'd have just stayed sober, I'd remember the game. It would have all been cool. Um, I basically lived the, ga- the day that Chris Clark does every time he watches Paddy. <laughs> oh, he's going to love that when he hears that. Uh, Sam, I've got to get a, a comment from you. How did you experience the playoff final? Um, at my parents on Sky Sports. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but that that's still great, right? You still You still had a fantastic time. I did, yes, yeah, and also uh, quite a few drinks because we'd, um, yeah, ordered in the Harveys again. That's our oh. thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it was amazing. I felt like it was one of those days that everything went right in the end. Your dad's a massive Palace fan as well, though, right? So he is. You know, yes. Yeah. At least yeah. You got to share the joy and the Harveys. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, I <laughs> become distracted thinking about the playoff final in way too much detail, but I think we better move on. Uh, just a quick thing that Mike popped in the uh, in the show doc, and it is relevant. You didn't watch it yourself, Mike, but the, uh, Max Mayer was playing for Palace in the EPL. Uh, I watched some of his game against James Madison, but. I turned it off when he started being typical Palace and I didn't need that in my life. Um, so what actually, what was the end score in that one, Patrick? 3-2, James Madison. Uh, we were up 2-1 and uh, Madison scored. It, it actually was a, uh, was it golden goal? Was that the next thing with Michael Obafemi? No, he was second. Yeah, he, no, he won. It was, regular, it was just regular 3-2. But let me just say, he's a very good player. I've watched, again, I am extremely bored. I do not play FIFA or watch FIFA. I have now watched Townsend, Wilf, and Max play full FIFA matches, which is very unlike me. But I think, okay, I don't, I'm not an expert at DR better than me. I think Max is the best of the three by far. He does his little tricks and flicks moves that I don't see anybody else doing FIFA. I think Madison might have mentioned that he's probably the best player he's played against, but Madison won. He went up beating my, Michael Abafemi yesterday, I think 2-1. And I think he got to the final. I didn't watch it after that, but... um. He did really well. Again, I'm not a FIFA person. I was thinking about buying a stupid game now. That's how impressed by Max Meyer. I'm a Max Meyer fan anyway. <laughs> so, uh, but no, I thought it was, a, it was enjoyable to watch. And I strongly advise you not to buy FIFA with your temper. Hmm. <laughs> really? <laughs> you, know, you know how angry you get about Palace? Yeah. Like on a regular basis. How about Football Manager? Try that? Football Manager's fine, especially FM20. It's an enjoyable game. How about but... download it? Uh, if you've got a Steam account on PC, don't. But I can look into it. Yeah, yeah, you can just buy it and download it. It's fine. But uh, yeah, Steam. Got me into it. Good. You've been doing that for the last couple of weeks, so I have. Yeah, I've I put that on pause because I'm I'm playing a proper game where I'm actual Palace manager with real players rather than putting the entire back of the nest crew in there. Can I just say, as a little bit of a spoiler, if I ever do put something together that's worthwhile looking at, I actually put producer Sam in there as a as a player in the uh, in the Palace youth team, and she left. She was the first player to leave. She went to Leicester really quickly and um, and has since moved on to Aston Villa. It's just a journeyman already. It's unbelievable behaviour. Um, Sorry. Yeah, no loyalty whatsoever. You know, but there you go. And you were touted at one stage as the next Michael Owen. So I don't know how you feel about that. Not great, to be fair. No, no, no. I'd have um, been slightly upset about that as well. I think Michael Owen's T-Tatal, so that's bollocks, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely right. <laughs> Completely unrealistic. 
So yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but anyway, that was it. Was yeah, it's a nice little diversion. I can't really watch it when I get so angry about FIFA, and not probably not as angry as producer Mikey does when he plays DR. Um, and there's been many, many incidents to speak of in the past on that. But I, I was an angry FIFA player, and I've, I've stopped buying it because of that. Um, I don't need that in my life. So I feel that Patrick, whilst you're in control of Palace and you're making Palace lose, I think it would probably be it'd be something in your life you don't really need. Okay, thanks. Because <laughs> you'd be angry at Palace and at yourself. So. <laughs> <laughs> A double whammy. Mm, yeah. Um, so, Mike, I didn't see this news, but Roy is back involved in training from May the 18th. Any more to say on that than that? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's obviously caveats to that. The, the plan is, provided that they're um, going back into training on May the 18th, and judging by Boise's statement, you'd, you'd have to say that they've been given... Um, they can give him the thumbs up to do that, uh, that Roy is allowed to join them uh, despite his age. So um, you could basically say that Palace could essentially, and I'm not saying, we're not saying they are, if somebody comes back and tweets us and says, oh, you're wrong. Um, it looks as though Palace could do full training as of May the 18th. Um, therefore, that would give them a couple of weeks if um, the Premier League was to start in June. Okay, nice one. Uh, Steve Parrish uh, appeared on Sky Sports, and this kind of links into the whole uh, project restart the debate, really. So he's been doing a lot of um, media stuff after putting some comments out on the Palace website, talking about you know his his views on project restart and what it might look like and how it might work. And it was latched onto pretty quickly. I think Gary Neville was the first one to get him involved in um, discussions on Sky. He's since been on BBC as well, I think, uh, this morning at the time of recording, um, talking very calmly and eloquently about the challenges ahead, you know, making sure that the the under, you know the, the understood part is it's only going to be done if it's safe to do so. Uh, and the whole principles seem to be around, you know, making sure private testing is, is available and not taking up any resources that would have been used elsewhere. Um, and I think, you know, again, making sure staff and players can be effectively isolated in groups, uh, that training can work properly. There seems to have been a whole thought process in place that he's sort of revealed. Um, and we'll get into the, the the other side of Project Restart, which has been named in an independent article today as Project Sabotage. Um, and we'll talk about it in just a sec. But I'll, I'll hand back over to you, Mike, on, on, on Parrish's comments. Yeah, so um, he, he he did a, a Sky Sports interview um, where he was looking. Uh, he was looking at every part of the the multi millionaire, um, but he, he he did he did use the phrase the least worst option, um, and I really I like that because um, it's honest. Um, he, he's been presented with the various options as of the other nineteen chair people. Um, and he's happy that it is the least worst option. So um, I, you know, I don't know what else you could say about it, provided it is restarting. Um, he's of the opinion that it is going to be a compromise. Um, you know, he's, he's he's not moaning. And he's you know he knows it's going to be tough. Um, and I, I just kind of like his professionalism and his realism. Um, and it, it, it's just carrying on from that article that was on the the, 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 the Palace website. Um, he's just being realistic about it um, and saying, if it is going to happen, obviously it's going to be neutral grounds, that kind of stuff. And we're going to be one of the clubs that 
benefits the least from from this because I, I know we haven't got a great um, record at home over the last few years, but after a period of people not seeing football, imagine the Palace fans. You know, it would be incredible. It's not going to happen, um, and they'll end up playing in Birmingham, whatever. But um, they're all realistic about it, and and you know he would have spoken to to Roy and asked him to relay the message to the fans. So um, yeah, there's there's a nice sort of one minute and a half video, um, the, the most important bits um, that we've tweeted from his Sky Sports interview. If you haven't seen it, just scroll down our Twitter. Thanks, Mike. And um, yeah, leading on from that, I, I chucked an article up in the document. Um, hopefully you had a chance to read it. But if not, I'll, I'll do as quick a summary as I can. And um, so there's basically, the article is written from the point of view that as part of Project Restart, there's been lots of, um, you know, problems to overcome. And the main one of those seems to have been a, a division within the 20 teams that the bottom six in the Premier League have now been dubbed Project Sabotage. And, you know, although the article indicates it's, it has been said in jest, but, you know, there's this underlying issue with the teams that are most at risk of relegation, that whatever they can kind of cling on to, to argue against the idea of restarting football in any form um, they are going to cling on to. And there's no doubt that it will suit certain clubs more than others to basically say either the season is null and void and the same teams start again next year, or if you do go back, you take relegation completely off the table. So it's and the interesting part I, I found, again, I'm going to name two clubs that are named in the article, uh, Aston Villa's one and our old friends Brighton and Hove Albion are the other. And Paul Barber of Brighton have, has been particularly vocal on this from day one. And it's so transparent and so tragic that, you know, it, and it's also so incredibly self-absorbed because, you know, the, the thought process that he talks about publicly just stops at the consideration of, of game integrity. So he starts talking about, you know, how unfair it would be on on a team like Brighton, for example, who, you know, to play at a neutral stadium and lose home advantage. First of all, it completely steps outside reality because it's not like Brighton have got a home crowd to speak of that would help them in any way. Um, but more importantly, they completely ignore the teams in the league below that have, have worked just as hard as them all season, have probably been better than them all season to have that chance to play in the Premier League. If you know, And it's not necessarily... It's definite that Brighton would go down, but you know they've got a very tough run in as a Villa, and it's so transparent that their motivation for for you know sticking their oar in and, and stopping this moving forward um, is entirely self motivated. And what, of course, you can understand with the money involved, can't you? It's you know hundreds of millions of pounds, but I can't get away from the fact that you know, if they've played better up until now, it was all within their gift to do better than they've done. So I don't really understand the argument. Um, so, look, I, I mean, I could go on all day about it, but I won't. There is an article in The Independent. If you just Google it, uh, The Independent and Project Sabotage, you'll find it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Well worth a read. But any any comments from the uh, the panel on that, on that particular situation? Yeah, um, my thing is that... Um... The article says the following. There's a huge financial cost of dropping out of the Premier League. Bomb six do have some justifiable complaints about the unfairness of potentially losing so much money because they've lost more money on neutral grounds that we're supposed to be at home. But this is the thing. The league has to start back at some point. 
I mean, the thing is, financially, uh, I mean, what Parrish was saying is that these games have to be played because they have no other way of getting any income. If it's not for the television revenue, there's no advertising revenue coming in. There's no there'll be no spectators watching the games, etc. So the game of football will be changed immensely if the season doesn't finish. And I'm not a big advocate of doing it at the expense of anybody's health. Don't get me wrong at all. I do not want it to start without people getting sick or, God forbid, dying. But the league has to play. It's the same over here in America. We're having the same problem with the NBA restarting, the NHL, Major League Baseball, football, etc. Sports over here have also stopped completely. But these leagues have to start at some point again because there's a huge financial cost. And and we're talking about financial cost, okay, losing money. We're talking about leagues going out of business. And that's what's going to happen in England. So I get that you don't want to get relegated, but you just said made a great point, Chris. Teams that like Leeds want to get promoted, and they have as much right to that to that ability to come up as as, as Brighton have to not going down. So again, there's a huge. This is a huge. Like there's a moral issue, there's an economic issue, but again, to me, they have to finish the league somehow. And I think the only way it gets done is the neutral. And if you don't like it, you know what? Just forfeit the matches. <laughs> yeah, absolutely right. And whichever way they do, can you imagine if the um. If the, the the games don't go ahead, because then obviously Sky and and the other broadcasters, you know, BT and probably I think Amazon have had all their games, but BT and Sky definitely, probably international as well. You know, there's contracts in place, so that money has to be recovered. Yep. So like, what happens then? So I guess it would have to be recovered from the Premier League, which would have to recover it from its clubs. You know, it's a mess no matter which way you do it, and the only obvious thing to do. Is to ensure that at the very least those games are played, and if you have to play it in a in a situation that's not ideal, at least it's not ideal for everybody. And don't you don't make your own clubs, you know, specific circumstances, a reason to you know to, to get in the way of that. There was a great um, comment in the article. It said they're all so desperate to play in the league that then that they're willing to not play in the Premier League at all. And I thought that summed it up quite nicely. <laughs> exactly. I mean. Just we can only go by other countries that have done similar stuff, but so Scotland had a vote um, of its forty-two clubs, um, and it was literally um, fifty-fifty down the middle. And I think it was Dundee or oh, Dundee United that hadn't that hadn't voted, and they was the uh, they were the final vote that that sorted things out. So if this comes down to a vote, well, it's, it's going to be a fourteen-six vote against. So. I feel it's a little bit irrelevant because the vast majority of the Premier League are, are going to want to carry the season on. So um, Brighton can can go and do one. Yeah, but Mike, there's also a thing I saw today and, and Chris mentioned it's not the first time, but there are three players that tested positive on Brighton. They can use that as their reason for not playing, that the kid that players are sick. So what do you do then? Well, I mean... The, 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 it could be then that, the, that some of the other teams say, you know, if we've got a certain amount of players... Uh, that have tested positive, then then fine. But I, 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 we go back to Parish's least worst situation. And unless we stop and wait for a vaccine, um, you might see a, a team that's skeletal at best. But, um, you know, right now people are advertising that the South Korean League is is, is live and people can watch that, you know, and it's, it's actually getting traction. Um, frankly, um, if you saw uh, Brendan Perrick playing... I think we'd still take some Palace right now, and and I feel like that that that's the way it's going to go. Um, but otherwise, if we're waiting for a vaccine, it's we're going to be waiting a long time. Understood. And I think the one thing you've got going for you also is that Bundesliga is possibly starting soon. And I think if you see what happens in that league, how they hopefully test 
they track and trace, see what happens with their plays. If that works out, then I think it would be a goal for the EPL, regardless of who doesn't want to do it. But if, if that doesn't work out and you see players getting sick, then you're going to have a problem, I think, going forward. So let's see what happens. Yeah, I think there is, you know, there's a the argument is obviously to make sure that nobody gets sick through playing football through the right. contact. I think if someone is unfortunate enough, in the case of the Brighton players, for example, although two of those were much earlier on in the in the pandemic, only one is fairly recent. You know, the, the simple matter is it's the same as a player getting injured or sick any other time. You know, it they're not available and they won't be available for two weeks because they'll be being quarantined. And you have to live with that because it's something that's out in society at the moment. The danger comes is if you don't pick that up and you don't test people and then other players get ill because of it. And that is the thing that the medical staff are warning about. And that's the thing that the players are worried about. And that's why, you know, the thing that Steve Parrish is saying is you have to make that environment as safe as humanly possible. And just one last thing, I've noticed that the Belarusian league didn't it ne- it didn't stop, and I happened to click on yesterday on YouTube, and they're actually showing the games live, and they have the games on. There are no fans in there, but the players are playing normal football. You don't like there's not there's no less contact. They're not wearing masks or gloves. Even the subs are not. They sit next to each other. There's no social distancing, so it's working somewhere in the world. So whether they're doing something different there or just not reporting it properly, it is being played in Belarus right now. So that's interesting to see. Yeah, I'm not too up on their league and their society. I am not either, by the way. I just haven't seen it on TV. (laughs) I'm secretly suspicious you're an expert, but all right. Um, (laughs) Okay, okay, well, let's let's leave that there. I'm sure it's something that will come up uh, as we continue to do these shows um, and more information comes out. So obviously we do have a quiz up next. I do want to ask a really quick question just to clean the palette before the quiz. Um, And that is... I've started to notice this. Now, I'm not saying I've necessarily done this, right? But when you... So in, in the world as it is now, obviously we know we've all moved to kind of Zoom chats and things like that, and we're quizzing with friends. I know everyone on this call has almost certainly done that. Am I right in saying? Yes, definitely. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. Yeah, so... And it's, you know, it's a great thing to be able to do. I did something today with for a couple of hours with friends, which I really thoroughly enjoyed. But... You know, starting to get to that stage where you're getting, you know, quite a few invites and you're getting there's quite a lot going on. And I'm not I'm not always the most sociable of people. And like in the past, you just be able to go, oh, I've got this to do. I've got that to do. I have no longer got any specific excuses, really, (laughs) to avoid (laughs) social interaction. Um, And I'm just wondering uh, has anybody got any ideas or experience of the sort of things? Now, I haven't avoided anything so far. I'm just saying that right now. But it has entered my brain. I was double booked for a Zoom quiz today, but that, that was legit. I was double booked. Uh, and that's only my absent-mindedness. So, hey, Sam, you probably do a few. Have you got any uh, excuses that you can come up with? But double booking is a good one. Like we have, We've been having a lot of, um, like, video lunches with parents and family members to avoid people um you can always go there with women's problems <laughs> well i can't <laughs> <laughs> why not <laughs> i suppose yeah i mean in this day and age gender construct guys you know girls guys and girls exactly or um what them I, I get confused i'm old but yeah um all right that's that's some good tips there yeah. um how about, how about yourself, Mike? You got any tips for me? I mean, I'm I, I'm sort of that that friend that people have where they know, oh, I I fancy a drink today, 
Mike will be out for it. And uh, yeah, it literally, if I say I'm double booked, it's because I am. Um, what what else am I going to do than, than chat shit to people with a beer in the evening? Like, either that or I go and share a bedroom with my son who snores like a... Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'd rather make sure I've passed out, to be honest. No, fair play, fair play. Patrick, you had to avoid anything? No, but the double booking sounds like a great plan. That's really literally does. all we got, and people are going to get wise to this, right? They're going to get suspicious. What do you mean you're double booked? Who with? Who else do you know? Psoriasis. <laughs> Psoriasis. Well, that's, a, that's a good one. Um, I suppose, you know, with the um, with the fact we can now go out for more exercise on multiple occasions and go sunbathing, we're starting to get some more excuses. So fingers crossed uh, that works in our favour. But... Um, Anyway, thanks for your input, everyone. That was uh, that was lovely. So let's end. With, and you're going to love this quiz almost as much as I definitely did. All right, it's time for the quiz, and an extremely pissed Sam is going to take us through. Hello, Sam. Good evening. Sounds like it has been a good evening. <laughs> yes. So, what's the nature of this quiz then? The nature of this quiz is back of the nest associates with the number 75 or the numbers 7 or 5 or 70 or 50. <laughs> okay. So, are we ready? So, yeah, I'm ready. First question. Max Mayer is currently wearing the number 7 shirt, but who wore it from 2007 to 2009? A. Carl Fletcher, B. Scott Sinclair, C. Ben Watson or D. Sean Derry? I mean, I've taken a punt there and I'm, I'm not 100% sure that that's the case. But I mean, he definitely did wear it. It just depends if all those others did. I don't think Ben Watson did. So the correct answer was Sam. Carl Fletcher. Yay. Yeah. Who went Ben Watson? Jeez. I did, of course. Ah, oh, lucky fam. Uh, was, yeah, it's. Yeah, it was a toss-up between one and two. So they went... Should have cheated. Right. Good times. Question two. Sticking with shirt numbers. James Tompkins wears the number five shirt, but which of the following players didn't wear the number five for Palace? A, Eric Young. B, Patrick McCarthy. C, Mark Hudson. Or D, Jonathan Parr. I don't know why I went full names there. <laughs> <laughs> but um, That just well, happened. I mean, it's got to be. It's got to be the the one who wasn't a centre back, right? Yeah, it was. Hundred percent. There, everyone got that. Well done, everyone. Good. Nineteen seventy five was one of the years that Crystal Palace achieved record consecutive away matches without a defeat. How many matches was that? Eight, nine, ten, or eleven? I should know this. That's not fair, though. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, I just I don't. So know. unfair. I don't know, so I've guessed to get as quick an answer as I could. Eight, nine, ten, or eleven. I should know. But you never go. You never go one end of the scale or the other, do you? Oh, no one got that right. <laughs> no it one got 10. that right. It was, 10. it was uh, yes, ten, and they also achieved the same record in twenty-eight to twenty-nine, sixty-eight to sixty-nine, and seventy-eight to seventy-nine. So there well, you go. Yeah, there we go. Indeed. Oh, okay, gosh. on to the next. Wait until we get... Right. Crystal Palace's record FA Cup result was 7-0 and was achieved in 1929. Name the club who lost. Southend oh. United, Luton Town, Bolton Wanderers or Portsmouth? 
I have to say, I'm deeply suspicious of how quickly producer Mikey is answering these. Uh, anyway. He does have a login for the quiz thing. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> oh, no one got it right, though. So maybe no. my, my conspiracy <laughs> <laughs> But it was, of course, Luton Town, wasn't it, Sam? Of course it was, yes, as we all remember from 1929. Yeah, um, yeah. And interestingly, or not interestingly, a fact, Bolton Wanderers went on to win the FA Cup that year, beating Portsmouth in the final 2-0, which is why they were both answers on the... I was going to say, how is that interesting? That's not even the answer to the question. Facts. Woo. Next question, then. Yeah. Question five. Who scored the most goals for Crystal Palace in the 75-76 season? Dave Swindlehurst, Mick Hill, Peter Taylor or Alan Whittle? Let me tell you I think it's unfair because Patrick was in the crowd as a fresh-faced 40-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> 11, 10, 10. Oh, dear. Well, I've, I've had a punt, but I think I think it might be one, of the, one other it could have been. Who got it right? Yay, I did. Only one <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got it right. It was Dave Swindlehurst, wasn't it? Of course it was. Scoring I, no, 19 no, it goals. It could have been Peter Taylor. Because Peter Taylor been. had a great season that year. We got to the FA Cup semi-final. Sam, what are you doing mm. this to me for? Why? <laughs> <laughs> because I like to torture. I don't know. Yeah. Um Swindlehurst was also the top scorer or joint top scorer in the 76, 77, 77, 78 and 78, 79 seasons. Yes, he was. There you go. So there you go. (laughs) (laughs) Question six. Crystal Palace recently shared a photo of the programme from the end of the 44 to 45 season, 75 years ago. But what was the final result of the last home game of the season against Brentford? A 6-1 loss, a 6-1 win, a 5-3 loss or a 5-3 win? See, oh, I, don't know. I remember this now. I, uh... I, I don't know, but I always go for the loss if it's Palace. So. <laughs> You'd have thought. <laughs> However. Oh, wow. It was oh, no, they didn't win, did they? <laughs> <laughs> Who got that right? I did. I, th- I thought I suddenly remembered it was a 5-3 loss. But yeah. oh, oh. Here we go. But... It just moves on too quickly. Question seven. Jim Cannon, who played for most of the 70s, holds the record for most competitive professional match appearances. What is the record number? 657, 660, 663 or 666? This is the most tenuous link to the 75th anniversary of VE Day. The thing is, it's like, I know he's got the highest, you know, the record, but I can't possibly know which of those it is. Just had to guess, and I guessed wrong, and so did everybody else. Everybody guessed wrong. The answer was 663. Of course, it fucking was. How stupid of it. I'm really annoyed that I guessed at a round number, though, as well. And it definitely, you can eliminate the round number 660, and you can see that Sam has enjoyed putting 666 in there, hasn't she? So you can eliminate that one as well. So it was between 657 and 663. And this is the funniest part. You're winning and you're upset. (laughs) (laughs) this isn't the most tenuous question either they get worse as we go along (laughs) question eight 
What is the name of the longest serving manager who managed the club from 1907 to 25? Just Edward Shaw, Christopher Robson, Jack Croft or Edmund Goodman? I mean, I'm hopeful I know this one. How? Um, how? I just seem reading my palace history, mate. I mean, I'd be terrible if I'm wrong because now I've sort of said I've read my palace history. But um, I'm sure it was this guy. Boom! Yeah, you were right. We it was Edmund Goodman who Not was in it. charge for 613 matches, excluding wartime competition. One of the founders, of course, Edmund Goodman, wasn't he? Um, and yeah, took over the club a couple of years after the original date of founding. So uh, uh, there you go. Who went Jack Croft? Uh, me. Have you ever heard of Jack Croft? No. No? <laughs> okay. <laughs> there we go. All right, on we go. And finally, oh no, question nine, not finally. <laughs> <laughs> Nearly finally. Oh no. Crystal Palace beat Clapham 7-0 in 1905. What was the attendance? 1,500, 1,200, 3,000 or 2,200? See, I know you've put a note saying we're scraping the barrel, but we're not scraping the barrel. That's just not related to the 75th anniversary <laughs> of VE Day. That's all that is. That's 40 years before VE Day. Oh, two of you got it as well. That'd be me, by the way. Oh, you and, and Mikey Fairley got... Of 1,500. That's like a two-rounder number. Sorry. I don't think it was accurate. If that's I was going to say, that's, that's just pure guesswork from somebody 20 years later writing a book, isn't it? <laughs> Should we avoid that question often? Agree. I love my anger. I love it. I really do. <laughs> question 10. The 50-51 season sees Palace's record of fewest league goals scored in, in a season, a feat they also matched in the 2013-14 season. How oh. many goals did they score? 31, 33, 35 or 37? If I'd read the 13-14 part of that question, I would have guessed differently. <sighs> Who got it wrong? Who got it right? Somebody got it right. It was uh, Michael Fairley again, who's had an ah. extraordinary run for someone with the access to the answers to questions. So I've, just, <laughs> I've turned off my tumble dry just to make an appearance. Congratulations. Unbelievable. Unbelievable scenes. So, well, Sam, do you want to take us through the, uh, the leaderboard? To the leaderboard, and I still don't understand the scoring on this. I don't understand the quiz, so fuck the scoreboard. <laughs> So, I mean, look, I mean, obviously, you, you've, you've been drunk presenting the quiz. How drunk were you when you made the quiz, just out of interest? This, this is a two-day effort. <laughs> oh, superb work. Right. Cool. Coming in at fourth. I can't do this. <laughs> That'd be me. Patrick O'Connor with 18 points. <laughs> well done, Patrick. <laughs> yeah, cheers. No, I'm done. Oh, you're done, are you? So in th third place. Uh, on the podium, though, Mike, I'm sure you're proud to once again take your place. On that podium, uh, 23 points, right? Yeah? Yeah? That's good, yeah? Yeah, I mean, that's 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 good. Um, I, and then, yeah, you've, you've come up in second there on 28. Um and uh, Michael Fairley, producer of this show, uh, tops the table with 38 points, 10 clear of everybody else. Astonishing. The spiritual winner there is Sam. 
because um, it's certainly <laughs> it's certainly not the number seventy five. Um. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, it some they all involve the number seven or the number five, or some variation thereof. That is but, what I was going for. But I don't think I've ever seen quite a, anything quite as tenuous. I think it's Love it, the man. most tenuous thing I've ever seen in my life. So I can't say I enjoyed that, Sam, but it was good. <laughs> it was a good, good effort. <laughs> no, no, no. Sorry. It's, no, it's quite no, Thanks, Sam. And also, thank you for joining us and, uh, and helping present it so professionally. <laughs> that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much indeed for listening. Thank you to Mike for producing, to, for Sam for lurking, and obviously it's for Mike and Patrick. I just called Mikey Mike, didn't I? Upsetting, upsetting stuff. Um, yeah, Mike and Patrick for being on the panel as well. Um, do check out the preview show, which will be out in the middle of the week. And of course, we'll be back again next week. Stay safe. Speak to you soon. Back of the chest. Coronavirus self-isolation podcast. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is, that's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.